Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh... can I please have your attention? Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Come on by, check us out, maybe become um, a paid member of the community so that we can do all the good things. And um, so uh, today we are um, going back to the well. We're going to keep trying this until it actually works. Uh, uh, in the, in the spirit of the beatings will continue until morale improves. Uh, we're going to do another one of these like, uh, drive time things. I know some people don't like them. Some people really like them. There seems to be an age, uh, difference in the people who like them versus don't like them. Um, uh, in terms of the feedback that, that I've gotten. Uh, so what's the, who likes us and who doesn't. Okay. So uh, young people seem to like the 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 millennial badinage um nice. more than people my age who understandably think all you people should be put in labor camps but um <laughs> that is uh, to be expected i guess so uh just so listeners know what we're doing here that was that was ryan brown from the dispatch uh we also have uh nick pompella uh my basically my ambassador in indiana at this point uh so <laughs> I've been in many uh, meetings with with um, Lord Mitch um, on your behalf. So um, excellent. He's he's my banner man in the West, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then in the way east, I suppose. Right? I mean, is it east from here? It should be. Yes. Uh, we have uh, 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 Guy Denton, which interestingly translated from the original Norman means oh piss boy uh that was like um, a compliment he put some effort into that one <laughs> <laughs> he gave it some thought um so uh, uh and another piece of the feedback is that uh uh that i've gotten from people um at least the feedback i've found persuasive some of the feedback i find unpersuasive and you do this for you live in public essentially for 20 plus years. You learn to sometimes reject feedback from 
people that you don't think is persuasive, but um, some people have accused you people, you three, of being too deferential, nigh upon sycophantic uh, to me, and that you are my Greek chorus and laugh track and little more. And mm. so this is one of the reasons why last night I asked you guys to come prepared with some things that you wanted to talk about. Um, and I'll just say that, you know, one reason why I keep wanting to make this thing work is again, we want to up the volume of the number of, of remnants over the course of time. And two, there's, there's this growing divide within the dispatch between sort of like Steve's side and my side. And I want my side to be like the fun side, um, <laughs> the wacky side, the, you never know what's going to happen side. I mean, like Steve, <laughs> they have these little lunches with the young reporters. I was going to say, Steve buys his food. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Te so. Teaches you, teaches you how to write a nut graph yeah. and call and, and talk to a source. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and hey, look, Ryan, I, we got booze delivered to us. I mean, what? Where, where are your priorities, <laughs> That's true. dude? That is true. That's true. See, I somehow have threaded the needle perfectly to where I get the free lunches and the booze. Exactly. <laughs> somehow, You're right? I'm well, right smack like, well, dab in the middle. I'll well, take it. The penance You're for that is that you also, as Thanks, I only saw the video yesterday, also have to eat bugs, which is this not is a true. good trade off. <laughs> This is right, yeah, so let, this is I know you talked about it at AO, that niche podcast that we put out, but um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I have not heard you at least publicly make your uh, give, <laughs> give us your reviews. Yeah. So yeah. like, A, you know, why did it happen? Right. Uh, what was it like? Do you regret it? <laughs> Were there any postprandial consequences that you will have to speak sure. euphemistically about uh, that make you regret it? Uh, all of these things I would like to know. Uh, so, look, we're all dealing with COVID in different ways. <laughs> uh, no, so this was this was actually Alec Dent's idea, who was head fact checker at the Dispatch, former intern um, of mine. Oh, yeah, really? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, the idea was very dispatching. He was like, everyone's saying we should eat more bugs, but no one's actually eating them. Um, and so he was, he said, all right, let's, I'm going to eat them. And we <laughs> talked about it on our staff meeting and everyone was like, no, don't do that. And I was kind of like, that sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, and so I joined him. I did very little work, to be honest. He did all uh -huh. the research. He made, he found the recipes, for lack of a better term, on how to cook the cicadas. Uh and uh, I just showed up with a bottle of wine and we and we chowed down at his apartment. Did he cook um, them all one way? I mean, what was the preparation? So he yeah, so he um, he went out. I thought this was the funniest part. I was in a different part of town uh, trying to find cicadas and I couldn't find any because it just wasn't a lot of greenery. Not it was newly developed. So it just wasn't a lot of cicadas. And I texted him. A sure so, hey, sign there, a young person living amidst <laughs> urban blight. If you yes, don't have any cicadas right. around you. In exactly. DC. Yeah. And I said, I can't find any cicadas. I'm really sorry. And he was like, it's okay. I think we'll be okay. Uh, I found 30. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think 30 will be plenty. I don't know how many you're planning on eating, but I don't plan on eating at least 15 if we're going to mm -hmm. split this. So he had plenty of cicadas. Uh, he had, this was also hilarious. I, I went over and I saw him tossing cicadas in olive oil salt and pepper which was just a hilarious sight to see a man just literally in his kitchen preparing food he, he really leaned into the bit so there was like some some fun like 
uh, like cafe music playing in the background. And he's tossing cicadas. And I was like, wow, we're, this is happening, huh? And uh, so he, so what he did is he boiled them to like, to sanitize them, tossed them in olive oil, salt and pepper. So you take, the, you take the wings off, right? They are not winged no, creatures. No, I don't point. think so. No, I think the wings are on, but you have to wait until they molt, which means they shed their old skin. Okay. Uh, I think that's how it works. Um, we'll so put the article in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's, that's so you can eat them. That's to where uh, it's like, that's to where it's edible and it's not going to hurt you. Um, or scratch yeah, your throat then, on the way down. Yeah, exactly. He made a, a, I can barely say this word, but a charcuterie, charcuterie board. Charcuterie. It's, yeah. Charcuterie. That's it. Yeah. Um, we found your compass, Ryan. Yeah, that's, that is it. Um, but anyway, he made one of those boards and, uh, it was beautifully prepared. There were all sorts of cheeses and he had olives and a, and a fancy, but for the giant sorts. bugs on it. And I walked in and I'm like, oh, this is nice. This is a nice little appetizer. Oh my God, there's bugs on that also. <laughs> it was it was pretty striking. Um it's sort of like that scene in the jerk, which I just wrote about the other day, but yeah, where yes, they, yes, Steve Martin gets yes. served the snails and he starts yeah. screaming at the major D, there's snails on her plate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Except this this he would have had a good case to, to be upset at the restaurant for having cicadas <laughs> on the plate. Um yeah, and then we had it with uh, crackers and cheese, and we couldn't really taste the cicada. Mm-hmm. And so we went back to the well and uh, just had a straight cicada. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say this, it was beautifully prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, Alex's initial thought in, in what he said in the video was, it kind of tastes like popcorn. And I couldn't disagree with him. Like, it was just... I, th- I read in one of the comments on the on the dispatch website, someone said, "This just proves if you put anything in olive oil, salt, and pepper, it's going to be okay at least." Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that that was kind of the best explanation. Final thoughts: If you're lacking protein or minerals or something, there are better ways to get that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah, don't yeah. need to be we don't need to be eating bugs. Um, but I'm glad I did it. It was kind of fun. And so that was the only preparation. I thought he made pasta too. Oh, well then, yeah. So then there was the second course. Yeah. Um, oh, other than that. <laughs> forgot about that. That was also pretty much just inspired by the meeting where someone, I think David said, what are you going to put him on fettuccine Alfredo? Half jokingly. And then Alec made fettuccine Alfredo. He also ha- homemade the sauce. It was uh-huh, really, right. really good Alfredo. Um, and then we just. But for the open. bugs in it. But for the possible butt fungus from the cicadas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. And no gastrointestinal distress or? Uh, no, I was, I was feeling horrible the next day, but I would imagine that was because I was at an Irish pub with live music for the first time uh-huh. in about a year and a half that night. So yeah, I can't blame the cicadas just, for my horrible. Just your physical day. presence there would make you ill, right? <laughs> it had nothing to do yeah, with anything you yeah. had personal <laughs> agency over. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It was just, it's, it's in my blood. Sure. No, so the cicadas, uh, and now I'm seeing a bunch of people now eating cicadas. I feel like we kind of kicked off a, uh, a movement here. I'm seeing it more on Twitter. Like people are actually eating them. Yeah. Yeah. And then in true Steve Hayes fashion, we couldn't put in the title of the article that we had eaten cicadas. Right. So it's like some boring, like summer cuisine trends kind of. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny. I think they ended up on, uh, 
yeah, something like these. Here's some fun summer recipes. You got that for you, right? So like you, <laughs> you, 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 like you can now say you've done it. It's like a Super Bowl ring. Yep. They can't take it away from you. Yep. Right. And um, in 17 years, when they come back. And everyone's like, should I eat him? I was like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't do Well, no, what you can do okay. is you, you can, you can yell, you can get really like, you can go to an Irish pub and on your way out, <laughs> you can go to the cicadas and just scream at them. I ate your grandparents. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, or yes. your parents, right? I mean, it's not like there's generations. Yeah. So these bugs that come out of the ground, they're 17 years old, right? I, I never really focused on that. That's an old bug when you think about it. Uh, most yeah, bugs something don't. Like that, yeah don't live that well i would think i know I'm, i think i'm on safe entomological <laughs> territory here when i say right. that most I bugs don't live 17 years yeah um you know so and then they go ahead then they come up and then they live for six weeks and then die like that's yeah. it that's their whole life well the thing is so i tweeted this the other day and i got a lot of backlash about it you know um I like thinking in these terms just before so the tweet was, you know so as i mentioned as i wrote about it in the eulogy to my dad Every the every every year at Thanksgiving, my dad had the driest sense of humor in the world. It was basically mm-hmm. walk across a desert and eat a pack of saltines while doing it, kind of dry. <laughs> and um, and he would always turn to me at the end of Thanksgiving dinner, you know, when the turkey carcass is like, you know, we've ripped off the legs sure. or as ribs and or not ribs, but you know, you can just it's just a husk, a bone that you could use yeah. for stock. And my dad would turn to me and say, Jonah. Do you think if we got the world's greatest scientists and medical experts together, that there'd be any chance of saving this turkey's life? <laughs> and, um, uh, and the other thing he would say at every Thanksgiving was as he started to carve the turkey, he would mutter under his breath, you know, on a planet populated by super intelligent turkeys this would be one of the most disgusting horror films they've ever seen um <laughs> as he dug into the turkey so anyway i grew up with my dad saying stuff like this oh, and funny. um and i just I, I i i said this first to my wife the other day and she thought it was funny so i tweeted it uh that if you made a movie in an alternate universe where human beings were where cicadas were human beings it would be like a Heronius Bosch dark, yeah. dark thing, right? They emerge from the subterranean Stygian depths to have sex amidst the corpses <laughs> of their kin. And then they have days to live while they're being, while they're, 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 they're slowly dying and being hunted by dinosaurs. Right. I mean, right. It, it'd be terrifying. Yeah. And right. everyone was like, you shouldn't smoke pot in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a good tweet. So. Good advice, right. though. Good advice from Twitter. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, oh, speaking of, of, of people taking tweets too seriously. So yesterday was the news that, uh, you know, my friend Charlie Cook, uh, gold jacket class remnant mm-hmm. guest. Right. Uh, confirmed or reported that he could confirm what Maggie Haberman had reported, which was that. Trump actually does believe that um, uh, he's going to be reinstated in August. And um, so I I like tweeted, got to confess, a lot of us are going to have a lot of crow to eat if Trump is actually (laughs) reinstated in August. And um, and then I tweeted another one saying, I can't wait for the Supreme Court case of Trump v. United States, where Rudy Giuliani um, (laughs) argues it in front of the Supreme Court. 
and I could, all these people were taking me seriously. I mean, there's mm-hmm. like, there's no That's way the right. court will accept that case. Really? Adding Pope hat, like <laughs> yeah. I am that guy, Jonah. <laughs> Can I get a ruling on that, David? <laughs> <laughs> anyway um well that's how that's the way in which twitter is the poorest replacement for a blog ever right it's it it took over the blogging space and is much worse because i don't i don't know why it's worse but it seems like no one no one acclimates to the personalities of people on twitter so they don't know when people are joking because it's it's anonymous to people i don't know what it is it's it's a it's a poor replacement for blogging it seems where there was more jocularity it seems to me at least i mean i read some very late blogs that survived but i'm kind of too young <laughs> i mean that's the true horror of this jota is that you said that the older listeners don't like the millennial badinage mm-hmm. the truth is ryan is the only one of us that i think you could actually classify as a millennial i'm on the cusp that's true and guy is un- is 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 younger than me which means he is in gen z like there's no yeah I, look I, yeah. I i find all of these <laughs> distinctions tedious um <laughs> like my view is i'm like when you're exiting in a plane everybody in front of you in the aisle is moving way too slow right. and everybody behind you in the aisle is way too impatient right. um everybody younger than me with the exception of some like maybe 30 and 40 somethings are just you damn kids and <laughs> yeah. I, I i don't distinguish yeah. amongst you it's right. I, I, it's like uh it's a crowd scene in a Godzilla movie. Oh, there's a Japanese, you know, um, and, uh, so, but, but point taken, but point taken. So, um, do you guys believe that Trump believes that like, what is your, like, I, I, am not discounting or disputing, uh, Charlie Cook's reporting on this. I, I think right. he's a guy of immaculate integrity. Um, and Steve has been telling me stuff that, you know, one of the reasons why he's he's bummed about the story is that he feels like he really is itching to get back to reporting because he knew some of these things and just mm-hmm. been doing so much, you know, white bag and whatever Boss he stuff. does. Um, so, uh, sorry, white bag is a 1980s term for cocaine that just went right over all your heads. Right. So, um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I believe <laughs> I, I I believe the reporting, but that doesn't mean one can't do some Kremlinology about what's going on. Are people leaking it to create a backlash to get them to stop i mean what do you guys think is the 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 objective truth of the matter i feel like that's probably right i mean i totally believe that he believes it uh because he's just crazy but yeah that's probably there's probably no they've probably tried to get him to come to his senses and realize that that's there's no way that that can actually happen and the only way to speak to him is through the media because he watches it all the time. Uh, so that 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 is totally, I would buy that for sure. Absolutely. Because Trump has been brought to his senses successfully so many times in the past. <laughs> yeah, I'm not re- saying it's going to work. Completely recanted <laughs> what he said about uh, Joe Scarborough being a psychopathic murderer <laughs> and vaccines causing autism, all that wonderful stuff. Right. Right. Um, so here's my only concern about this is not my only concern. And look, part of my concern is that the dude's back guano crazy and right. he's deluded and he's sociopathically narcissistic. And, and, you know, this is a guy, remember he used to, he said under oath 
that his estimate of his own net worth changes with the mood that he's in. Right. And, uh, <laughs> um, like an uh, actual solipsist in the philosophical sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also like, I mean, like, I mean, I know I'm like the only person who's like really jazzed about my argument about romanticism in my book, but like this idea that your feelings create reality. I mean, Trump is that guy in spades. Yeah. And, um, and so it doesn't shock me at all that he's convinced himself of this. You know, he has, he follows the George Costanza rule, which is if you believe it, it's not a lie. So he makes himself yep. believe stuff. Um, but it, I would prefer more people of Trump world went out on the limb and backed him on this to a certain extent so that, um, because right now what I, what I would predict happens is Trump comes out. Well, it's entirely possible in front of the rally. He's giving a big speech to a rally this weekend, right? In North Carolina. Yeah. If he goes there, it's possible. He just, you're damn right. I ordered the code red. I'm coming back right. in August, baby. Right. So, I mean, because he yep. can't resist audiences. So that's definitely possible. Yeah. But what concerns me is that he'll come out and he'll say fake news. This is not true. I've never said anything like it. And the usual Trump Praetorians will come out and say, see, there's another example of how the media always lies. Yeah. It wasn't true. Yeah. As if like Trump's denial is dispositive. <laughs> you know, right. like, oh, well, Trump says it's not true. It must not be true then. Um, but yeah, he was and, joking. He's used the joking excuse right. many times. Right. I mean, he, he, he said in the debate with Biden that the, the pouring disinfectant inside our bodies and using yeah. UV lights on our intestines thing was a joke. And that right, exactly. sarcasm. You know, Which from so any other clearly. politician would actually maybe be believable, but not. <laughs> or if you hadn't seen the video, right? I mean, it's sort right, of like, exactly. right. yeah. it's like Michael Flynn's denial that he didn't call for a yeah. Burmese style right. coup. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was funny. It's like, I originally wrote about that for the LA Times and over the night, you know, we repurpose it as my first syndicated column. He denied it. He came out with a denial and like yeah. normal journalistic practice is to say, um, a claim he denies, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I like, we sent out the column and then I went back to my editor and was like, you know, maybe we should have put it. And he was like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I hear you. <laughs> Yeah. but like it's like it's just plainly on video and right. you know um and nobody and the thing is he also flynn also has this like long record of calling for martial law and all this kind of stuff yeah. so i mean it's not like inconsistent and it's how the audience read it like right. the idea that like he meant what he was saying was uh there's no reason why we should have a military coup as if he was rejecting the idea right it basically yeah. involves taking a comma out of it if the audience thought that's what he was saying, they would have lynched right. him, right? Yeah. I mean, he clearly, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, I, I just worry that it's going to be another one of these things where people cling to Trump's denial as a way to turn it into another round of ass-scratching media, media criticism. Passion. Yeah. You know? Well, just it, the most shocking thing about it to me is that it really seemed for a, for a solid minute there that and maybe this was just a construction of basically people taking inopportune photos right which is one of the masterful things that you can do to manipulate a story is you know get a 
get a picture to accompany a headline of someone looking really evil or whatever. There were all of these pictures of Trump. <laughs> Homer, Homer sleeps nude in an oxygen yeah. tent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Precisely. Um, but no, I mean, uh, there were all of these pictures post-election of Trump looking really dejected. Mm. And he's golfing at Mar-a-Lago, but he's all sad looking and all of this stuff. And it really did seem for a minute there like, he just sort of, it was sort of like the weight of reality finally landed on his shoulders where it's like, oh my God, I'm a geriatric. I'm like, I hate to say, but you know, this is a factor that I assumed meant that he wouldn't go, he wouldn't be too serious about the stop the steal stuff, right? Is that he's just, he's old. And I know we're all, you know, we're three Americans and a spiritual American here in this conversation, but I know the the logic of Americans more so than anywhere else in the world is that you kind of, work until you die and there's less of an emphasis on you know just stepping away from your work and retiring but it just seemed absurd to me that someone of that age would want to return to that job after being given the opportunity to leave because it's a psychopathically difficult job to do and i don't know why you would want to go back if you had the excuse to leave, but I guess yeah, but, it's the but, but, but first of all, he enjoyed yeah, it. I guess. Well, well, first of all, you're you you've begged the question because what evidence is that is there that he was doing the job? Um, right. You know, <laughs> right. he was he was he tweeted you know, an awful lot. Yeah, he was being <laughs> a pundit, right? I mean, we're, we we're gonna people are gonna use their ballpoint pens and just scratch right through the remnant bingo card thing. But he was a perfect illustration of the Yuval Levin stuff, right? I mean, where he was. Yeah. He used the institution as a platform for himself, um, and he preferred to be a commentator rather than um, a you know doing the fulfilling the role that he was elected right. to. I think the answer to that. I mean, so there are two there are two answers. One I think is obviously true, and the other might be true, but they don't contradict each other. The obviously true one is. We know that like everybody who loses after a first term gets kind of bitter about it. Um, sure. uh, George H.W. Bush, who handled it better than anybody, I think. Um, I mean, you can make a case about Carter, but, you know, The Simpsons says he's history's greatest monster and who we're going to argue. <laughs> um, but um, uh, he was he report. There's some anecdotes about how he just told people, you know, the thing about it, the worst thing about it is it's just so damn embarrassing. And yeah, it's hard for us to imagine ourselves in that role and then getting fired for it by the American people. It's just got to be hard. And, mm, right. and then you realize that the same solipsism that Trump has that allows him to think he didn't actually lose when he was in office, you can imagine how, like, I mean, like, this is a guy who craved television cameras. I mean, yeah. the old joke about how, like, the most dangerous place in Washington is between Phil Graham and a television camera pales mm. <laughs> in comparison to, like, how much Trump loved to be in front of a camera. And he's literally on a camera all the time. I mean, this is a point Rob Long made all the time is that Trump woke up in the morning and had a makeup artist put makeup on him. He wore makeup yeah. all day long as president mm. for four yeah. years. He loved that kind of attention. He loved moving markets. He loved rallying Twitter. And he believed all the sycophants because the, one of the problems that of his presidency was that he only listened to people who praised him. Mm-hmm. And so he tended to, he had the capacity to believe that stuff. And so you could see how just not being able to compute the idea that he lost would, right. would work on his brain. 
And then there's this, that's not the cynical interpretation. That's the one I think is just indisputably true. Yeah. The cynical interpretation is, is, and I don't know if this is true and I'm not going to invest a lot in it, but these criminal investigations, um, yeah, he may be like, look, the only way I can, yeah, I need to be president. I need to be president. And the, man, yeah. the problem is, is I can't wait four years to be president. I got to be president now, or at least by August. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, right. Uh, and that's a problem. I mean, that, that is a legitimate problem with criminally prosecuting former presidents is they, if they're willing to be criminals in the first place, that means they might not have reluctance or forbearance to not do even worse things, um, to get power, hold on to power and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I think it's possible, you know? Right. So I saw on Twitter, I wish I could give this guy credit. Um, cause I think it was a pretty popular tweet. Someone said, why don't we just Truman show it and tell him he's president <laughs> of an Oval Office and just like, just fake this world. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. But also, what's the downside of that? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, why can't we just well, fake it? You'd have to, you'd have to have some storyline about it being like a, like a nuclear war or a much yeah, worse pandemic. Yeah, something to do. Well, no, but also you have to, you can't let him go outside to crowds and stuff, right? I mean, like, oh, right. I otherwise he'll figure it out. It's got to be something that can be contained on a soundstage. Right. So you can do like a, the VR right. helicopter yeah. kind of stuff <laughs> yeah, and it's exactly. moving around and feels real. But yeah. like, you can't yeah. have him go speak on the mall <laughs> to a real audience because right. like someone in that crowd is going to say, right. you're a moron. This isn't real. <laughs> and it's going to blow the whole thing, right? So, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think there is. An I earnest- think it's worth exploring. I think there is an earnest belief in him, even though it is well, principally and almost wholly about for him just being the center of the universe. He does also believe that he is the greatest president. Well, I was going to say the greatest modern president or president in decades, but maybe the greatest president ever. Look, at, and some of the things he did are, are fairly ephemeral. They've already been undone, but some of them aren't, like moving the embassy and sure. moving the embassy to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the judges. Look Look at what I did. I created the greatest economy, the biggest of all economies, the best of the biggest of all Americans, the greatest country, mm-hmm. blah, 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 all that. And now he looks and says, look, look, see, look at what the Democrats are doing to it. They're destroying everything. How go- uh, we were go- entering another golden a period of golden years. And part of that is just to rally up the Fox News and Newsmax base. But there also is, I think, some sincerity to it. Oh, I'm sure there is. I mean, sure there is. I mean, like, People can convince themselves of all sorts of things, you know? Um, um, And also what helps enormously is Trump's utter ignorance about American history. Um, So like, you know, my favorite, which I mentioned on the podcast with Pushway on on, on Thursday is, you know, when you would say how um, blacks have never, ever, 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 ever had it this bad. In right. saying this in 2016, which is just, right. yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> not true. Um, and, or my favorite was also when he would say in 2020, um, um, nobody has done more for uh, blacks in America with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Yeah, the possible. Yeah, I loved the possible. That's my favorite like, locution, exactly, right? Exactly. You know, exactly. Like, I want to sound as if I'm being reasonable while right. I am pulling, <laughs> you know, radioactive bald yeah. monkeys out my ass. Um, right, yeah. So I'm going to say 
possible exception, right? That makes I'll it, let oh. the historians. <laughs> I'll let the historians really figure out the details, but it's just possible. What's well, like? It's like the Sidney Powell thing at the uh, at the same conference where Mike Flynn said he was going to um uh, that we needed a Burmese style coup. Uh, she said she also said that he should be reinstated. That he's going to be yeah. probably going to be reinstated, yeah. and um uh and he said and then and and she said um unfortunately <laughs> the constitution <laughs> yes has no provision for restoring time lost so you know it's, he should get those extra 100 next days back but he's just not going and i love this cuz first of all there's also no provision for reinstalling a president right so like the idea <laughs> yeah. that like this is your this strict is scrutiny is kind of thing problem yeah but it also it's 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 i'm sure there's some rhetorical phrase in latin or something about this technique of making a minor concession that makes it sound like you're telling hard truths to the audience mm. oh, right so like she's yeah. like saying to the audience i'm sorry to tell i i am so sorry to be the bearer of bad news while he is going to be reinstalled as president, he's not going to get his yeah. full term that he deserves back because we have to stay loyal to the Constitution. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's not brilliant. I, it's not it's not Latin. And I don't think I think it. But I think it's like a, a thing that people that study misinformation, it's they'd call it just a kernel of truth. Like you just have a kernel of truth that hooks the people into thinking, hey, this might the whole thing might be true. As long as just a little bit of it's true. Yeah. They just cling yeah. to that. And then and then it just gets worse and worse. Um. Speaking of which, yes, UFOs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kernels right, of truth. This, this Lots is, of little kernels of truth. This is your obsession, right? This is like, uh, you know, this is why you, this is why you're constantly making uh, uh, sculptures in your mashed potatoes that look like Devil's Tower, right? That's <laughs> yes, I mean, we, exactly. Yeah. I, I just, I'm so fascinated by, we were so curious, like everyone, nobody knew anything about these UFOs or whatever they want to call them. And now they're just telling us they're just telling us of everything, about yeah, right. it, which is also what they're telling us is we have no idea what <laughs> what's going on. Um, I just think it's it's it is fascinating that, that it was a secret for so long, and then they decided, oh, we might as well just reveal everything. Um, that's part of the anything. most that's part of the most terrifying thing, right? So, like, work under the assumption that we're getting a lot more information that's not, you know. Um, interestingly picked apart in a way to uh you know misdirect the public or something like that it's the the funny part about it is that the assumption the kind of conspiracy theory assumption always seems to be that the government is hiding stuff that they know about ufos right. from us but what if like the stuff that you hear obama say no about it and stuff like that is actually the case where it's essentially yeah so we have all of these pieces of footage of things in the sky moving really quickly mm -hmm. I, also we have absolutely no clue uh what they are isn't that infinitely yeah. more terrifying <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, you know? exactly the, you know? so for background for people there's a report that's gonna the pentagon's gonna put out by june 25th to congress and parts of it were leaked to the new york times and the headline in the new york times i love it it's u.s finds no evidence of alien technology and flying objects but can't rule it out either <laughs> right it's just perfect like of course i could have told you that so so the headline i saw which i guess was one of the articles that was bouncing around twitter said that 
government to say there's no evidence these UFOs are from outer space or words to that effect. Mm-hmm. And on the one level, sure, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. Right? Sure. Um, but like the the giant thing moving in ways that defies the laws of physics um <laughs> in without visible propulsion systems at weird right angles and all the rest. That seems like some evidence, right? I'm not saying it's dispositive, right? It's sort of, it's like, you know, like the bloody knife is not necessarily evidence that, that Joe Blow murdered somebody. Yeah. But it's, 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 you can't rule it out. I'm not saying it's not (laughs) evidence. The wrong word. It's not proof, right? There's a difference between evidence and proof, right? People, it comes up all the time when any McCarthy used to make this point all the time about how, how he was sick of people saying, well, that's just circumstantial evidence. And he was like, every prosecutor will tell you circumstantial evidence is in fact right. evidence. Right. It's not, it's, it's, it, it, circumstantial evidence is not co- a coincidence. It's right. evidence. And yeah. it helps you say, well, okay, it's circumstantial that he happened to be in the bar at the moment the guy was killed. That doesn't mean he killed him, but because he was in the bar, it, it's, it, it's evidence that it was possible. If he was yeah. a thousand miles away, it would be evidence that it's not possible. And right. so like I have, there's no proof that these things aren't from outer space, but the simple existence, it's like if a flying saucer now hovers over Washington, DC, there's no proof it's from <laughs> outer space. If we don't have like I- I- tracking of it on radar coming from Alpha Centauri or something. But it's the mere presence of the giant <laughs> flying saucer over Washington, D.C. is at least circumstantial evidence. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go with their audience here and push back. I mean, let's not be hasty. You know? <laughs> Can't rule anything out. But yeah. be and to China, the point, I don't you know? care where that thing came from. I'm still really worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's like a, my favorite line from Thoreau, and I was really bummed when I looked up looked it up last year and found out there's an actual explanation for it because i, I kind of liked it as sort of an auditory dada painting was <laughs> uh he had said um some circumstantial evidence is very strong as when you find a trout in the milk <laughs> and i just liked it as a standalone statement yeah. without any context of understanding what he was saying because yeah. it lets your mind wander you about like what it means like Clearly, the trout in the milk is evidence of something, right? And just let people figure out what it. But it turns out that it was a fairly well, not a common phrase, but it was a very common practice in the 18th and 19th century to cheat by watering down milk that you sold and claiming oh. it was 100% milk when in fact it was only it's like watering oh. down booze or putting you know baby powder and bags of cocaine or whatever you know yeah. stuff we all do, um, yeah. and. <laughs> sure. uh, uh, and so the point, the context of it was, you're, you should be pretty sure this milk is not 100% milk if it's got a trout swimming in it. And I, I much prefer <laughs> the, I don't know what, just why he picked this succession of words and yeah. it just conjures your own, you know, you get to fill in the blanks about the, the, what the trout in the milk is evidence for. Right. But anyway. Right. Yeah. Another reason not to drink skim milk, because you might, you might find trout in your skim milk. What, what is the Ron Burgundy, Ron Berg, not Ron Burgundy, Ron Swanson? line from uh parks and rec where he says um i'm gonna butcher oh it, god 
but he says, I don't drink skim milk because um, I hate liars and skim milk is yeah. lying about being milk. Right. I was actually raised on skim milk, so I actually don't mind it. But I had a lot of skim milk, but it turns out it's really yeah. not great for you. And like now with the low carb. Really? Well, it's 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 sugar water basically. Um, that's oh. my understanding, and and sometimes it's blue, which makes me very upset. I mean, oh, I've never, I would steer clear of that. Well, you got to look at it in the Seriously? right way. But yeah, you know, like it has that weird <laughs> kind of. Tan. I mean, I don't mean blue like <laughs> orange <laughs> toilet water. Jonah, where are you, uh, Jonah? <laughs> Jonah, that's the trout water. <laughs> well, that's, that's like the alien you know, from the Last Jedi. Like yeah. every every ten years or so, there's some story about a people thinking that there's a meteorite going through their roof, and it turns out it was frozen toilet water from some plane. That, um, <laughs> oh. that came down. I mean, I, I, seriously, you Google it, you'll find. I it. believe that. I believe that. All right, so I had my wife made a point to me last night. I might write the G file about it. Um, um, I think there's a it's a it would be a good test of whether Hollywood has any testicular fortitude left. Um, see whether or not they make a good real movie about the outbreak of the COVID virus. Mm-hmm. that treats the idea that it was a lab leak seriously. I mean, that could be yeah. a really good movie, actually, if you do, if, if, uh, get the right director for it. But Hollywood is so cravenly sycophantic to China. Um, yeah. It's really unlikely that that will, will happen. But I, I mean, that would be, would be a fun controversy. Like if I, if, if Rupert still owned, a, does Rupert still own a movie studio? I don't think he does, right? They hmm. sold Fox... No, Bezos, does. Bezos does yeah but I mean he doesn't want to piss off China I mean how no. you know that's that's no. like mm, no, no, know, no he's got issues nobody but like does. Rup- but like be a, no but it'd be a full employment act for Fox 24 7 about you know yeah. Hollywood censors movie about you know exposing lab yeah. leaks and you know and Trump's installation as president or whatever no, you that know? really wouldn't <laughs> be like the 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 controversy around that movie would be just so many worlds colliding yep yeah, great yeah, that'd be the Hollywood version would probably leak out of Taiwan, and John Cena will be the president who says we should have trusted China all along. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, you guys weren't, you know, you guys were you know, embryos, or, yeah, whatever. When the first Red Dawn came out, oh yeah, that was it. Was it was it was central to a lot of our lives for a while. Yeah, movie. and. <laughs> The remake of Red Dawn, where Hollywood actually went in and retroactively CGI'd it into the enemy being North Korea instead of China. The idea that North Korea oh, could really? successfully invade North America, you know, the United States of America. I mean, maybe Canada, right. but, you know, um, and uh, like, it's such a hate crime. I mean, the movie itself was bad, you know, because, yeah. but yeah. like, um, and since then, I mean, I don't, I don't think there has been a movie with a plausible with a a clear anti-chinese bent to it of any kind since uh 7 years in tibet well when when was the mm. last when when was the last vehemently patriotic movie you saw or that was exceedingly mm. pro-american and was dripping in that kind of sentiment independent sniper 
Oh. American Sniper is good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah true. the war movies. Yeah, Lone Survivor. Yeah. Those were good. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. I mean, I, I've written about this a bunch. Very difficult to make war movies with the Americans as the bad guys and have them be successful. Yes, it's very right. easy yeah. to make the movie. It's just right. very <laughs> hard to make it a successful movie. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And uh, and again, back when you guys were playing with crayons or whatever, uh, <laughs> the first five six years of the Iraq War, Hollywood put out a string of these movies that were trying to talk about how bad America was or how bad the war was or all this kind of stuff. They did not do very well because people don't want to go watch. Yeah. Who wants to watch that? Right. Wasn't there even, was there maybe an Oliver Stone one that might be slander, but I think, I think the director for, um, the guy who directed Scarface, is that Oliver Stone? I can't remember now. That's uh, That's the Palmer, right? For Scarface, yeah, yeah, but he—I think yeah. he might actually have had a writing credit on Scarface. I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah he did write. Oliver Stone did write Scarface. That's yeah, right. that's what I thought. Yeah, right. and he wrote, and he wrote, there. you know, wrote Conan, which you know, the only reason why I'm czar, he's not going to the worst of the gulags. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, uh, but the, I don't know if he fun- did a war movie in during the War on Terror stuff. Maybe he did. Yeah, I thought there was like a weird anti-American. Maybe it was that Nicolas Cage movie where he's an arms dealer in Africa. I can't remember now. There's something. Yeah, maybe, weird I mean, like look, but there was a Robert Redford one. There was Syriana with George Clooney, which, mm. you know, you know, like the part of the problem, and we don't need to go down a rabbit hole about how neoconservatism is misunderstood. Um, but uh, the left in America in those days simultaneously wanted to say that neoconservatives were, um, you know, warmongers. Some of them wanted to say that they were, you know, bagel snarfing warmongers, if you know what I mean. Um, and, uh, um, and that America should be for democracy. And the problem is, is that, the neocons again i don't like using the label i don't like buying into this notion that that's what neocons are we're for the most part talking about democracy and spreading democracy and building up democracy and all this kind of stuff and so you had these very convoluted movies where you simultaneously had neocons being cast as like these perfidious string pullers behind the scenes um who are also somehow for subverting democracy when in fact they were want to do the opposite and it right. got really complicated. I, 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 I cannot for the life of me tell you what Syriana was supposed to be about. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. That was still, but, but at the same time, during the Iraq era, you know, Michael Moore goes on stage at the Oscars and starts castigating Bush, and the majority of the audience boos him, which yeah. is staggering mm-hmm. to think about with how the Oscars are yeah. today. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about right. that. Yeah. Well, also just that people were watching the Oscars back then seems like that's true. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Speaking of speaking of this exact topic, do any of you follow on Twitter? I think it's just called George W. Bush era um, leftism bot. Which I've is seen just, it. I don't um, think I follow it. It, no, it is that sounds ju- amazing. Yes, it just <laughs> posts. I mean, I mean, I I don't think the person who runs the account is making them fresh. I'm pretty sure they they have somehow combed through old blogs, old meme image boards and stuff like that. And they're finding these early like W memes of, of him in a, in a, in um, like an infantry 
um, yep. bulletproof vest and stuff like that. And it's got like Exxon Mobil on it. Mm-hmm. And it's got <laughs> a speech bubble over his head. And he's got a cowboy hat photoshopped on it. It says like, I feel like such a badass right now. And if you remember <laughs> that kind of like when we were in, you know, <laughs> elementary school, that kind of attitude that a lot of sort of liberal people had, which was this sort of this sort of very populist, like, uh, get it. You know, he's dumb and he's and and sort of conspiratorial. They're sort of conspiratorial memes of he's hanging out with Saddam and stuff mm-hmm. like this. And it's it's kind of it, it's a weird wave of nostalgia in a way, but it's also helpful because it helps you remember that people have always been really nasty. Oh, I, I was going to say. I, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, just just it, it, it reminds you that it might not be. I mean, it's bad right now. Uh, uh, rhetoric wise, but it's, it's also it's also always been bad. Yeah, and Americans are crazy, and they always have been, and that's kind of how we are. You know, the um, um, I mean, the Village Voice had that cover with George W. Bush with vampire teeth biting into the neck of the Statue of Liberty, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, he approved that though. In I got to tell you, you know, I I went to um, I went to the Democratic convention. I went I, I went to the Democratic convention in two thousand and two thousand four, and. In, 96 and 92 and 88 but uh um um in 2004 it was it was amazeballs to use a term from social science um (laughs) (laughs) in that uh people were a lot of the dogs were just truly losing their minds and the democrats had convinced themselves that nominating john Kerry would prove that they were actually super patriotic and <laughs> and pro-military just anti-war and it got really crazy and i remember being on a at the convention center or the stadium wherever that thing was in boston um on a tram thing full of like michael moore loving <laughs> left-wingers and there's this lady standing next to me and she's got this giant, keep in mind, at the time, I think my wife was still John Ashcroft's <laughs> speechwriter and chief policy advisor. Mm-hmm. And, and like, um, the anti Ashcroft stuff was all over the place. And anyway, um, uh, there's this one lady wearing a giant button that just says, I do not with the not underlined in red consent to a search. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> who, who's, who's looking to search you, lady? I mean, like, it's like there's like, okay. There was an enormous amount of like weird paranoia, and it's that's why it's so funny for me to see people like Glenn Greenwald and Naomi Wolf and these people being picked up by Tucker as heroes, because back then they were considered the craziest of the left wing crazies by right wing, right. by all yeah. of us. I mean, by everybody. And right. I mean, in fairness, Greenwald's a different creature than Naomi Wolf because Naomi Wolf is nuts yeah um and i mean just flat out nuts and she used to like re- you know report you know we, I, like literally she thought the i don't know the ss was at her door and like the, right you know all this i mean this crazy stuff and yeah. um but it was a crazy time back then i mean it really was i mean i had lots of death threats and all sorts of things back then for being for war um Jeez. As opposed to now, of course. Yeah, but I mean, at least back then the death threats came from the left. Um, right. We'll say conventions do bring out the weirdest of both sides. Conventions are kind of like Twitter personified. 
Like Twitter might not be real life unless you're at a convention, political convention. Because yeah. then you're like, oh, I, now I see everybody who's tweeting on these crazy things. They do exist and they're all here at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever met Michael Moore, Jonah? Have the two of you ever debated? No. Um... Did you say dated? Debated. Debated is a far more interesting uh, question. Well, no, it's it's, it's, only if it has a really interesting answer. And uh, (laughs) um, uh, no, I don't think we've ever met. And um, so, I mean, uh, just fun fact, which I don't, you know, I I tend not to talk about all the the Lewinsky, Clinton, my mom stuff, and all that kind of thing. But. Back during the height of that stuff, which also generated all sorts of fun death threats and whatnot, um, Michael Moore rented space in a building across the street from my apartment in New York City and set up a camera to spy on uh, and actually created a live cam thing on the web 24 hours a day to look into the window of our apartment to violate my mom's Fourth Amendment rights. This was his argument that this is not like my hyperbole. His argument yeah. was, since my mom told Linda Tripp to tape record her conversations with Monica Lewinsky, yada, 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 and Bill Clinton's yeah. you know, privacy has been violated because whatever. Wow. Um, we're going to do the same to you, lady. And so he set up this camera. It was a stunt, obviously. And, um, and the funny part about it was that this was, in fact, looking into my bedroom. And, uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, I didn't live there anymore, but like, that's where I stayed when I came home and that kind of thing. And, uh, um, uh, and so I, I have, I've had a, a, a personal dislike of, of Michael Moore for quite a while. And, um, he, uh, um, in the, in the two thousands, I was invited to a few campuses when there was protests over them inviting Michael Moore to speak, they would have me as sort of like proof that they were being even handed kind of thing. And mm-hmm. even though I did not like the implied comparison to Michael Moore, I, I didn't <laughs> yeah. mind depositing the check and talking to the students. Um, <laughs> but I think the only things I remember about Michael Moore is, is he's a horrible, horrible human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I mean that quite sincerely. He's just a bad dude. Um, <laughs> he set up a camera, for God's sakes. And, oh, not, not even that. I mean, that's just political theater. No, like, know, so but, also his, like, you know, he, he was an attention whore. And, he, you know, that's why he thought yeah. OJ was innocent. You know, or he said he thought yeah. OJ was innocent because he liked getting the attention. But go back and you read, including pieces, I believe, in, like, Salon, about how he treated employees, right? He makes these movies about, you know, the death of union towns and how labor is so important. And yet he was just vicious to his own employees mm. for even hinting about being about unionizing and all these kinds of things. He is one of the most notorious do as I say, not as I do yeah. people. And he yeah. buys virtue on the cheap um, by pretending to be for stuff that he won't do in his own life. And um, right. So not a good guy. And he <laughs> did that. Uh, he's a, I can't remember. Um, which movie it is, but he he's in a. I think he, he it, it it was sort of a combination of a bunch of of sort of left wing tropes just all put together at once in one of his movies. He like you're gonna have to be more. My specific. memory of it, I yeah. feel like this is. <laughs> you know that's that's how he makes his living. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, but there was one that was. You remember that time Donald Trump me. exaggerated? Well, listen. <laughs> 
Listen, listen, there's a point here somewhere, but I'm going to give it up because it's too muddled. I'm just going to give it up. I mean, bowling for Columbine, Fahrenheit 9-11. I think it's bowling for Columbine I'm thinking of where he goes in to what what my memory uh, has in my memory banks as the New York Stock Exchange, but it's probably somewhere else, and starts ranting about how you can buy less Sudafed than you can buy bullets at a Walmart. And I, I don't think it's at the New York Stock Exchange, but in my memory, it's perfect because it's just sort of like every thing from George Bush era leftism all put together. It's like Wall Street and guns and yeah. the, the man. And uh, I don't know. It's just amusing in my mind. But. Marilyn just, Manson, when he was relevant right. and not canceled. <laughs> right. That right. dude's seriously canceled. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know we're running along here, but... um. Yeah. Have you guys? And but we just had like zero substance in this entire podcast. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's basically like eating a styrofoam cup. I mean, it won't kill you, this but it just been, this has been profound, Jonah. This is what people make them laugh. For. Make them laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's got to keep in mind that like if if the audience still hates this model, this model is now dead. So yeah. you know, um, this is but, the apotheosis. Yeah. Um, uh, have you guys? Listen to the latest Hangover Starwalt podcast mm-hmm. with Matt Continetti. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got no nods out of, of Piss Boy, but that's okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> Liar. Um, but uh, uh, I thought it was really interesting. But it, it made me think about it was Bush era leftism because there's also yeah. Bush era conservatism stuff. And um, yeah. Um. I got my quibbles, um, mm. but I think it's really it was really useful to listen to. You know, one of the things that both Chris and and Continetti and I gotta say Steve, they're just so much better than I am at like saying, yeah, that was that was I think that was November two thousand seven. Right. Yeah, for me, yeah. it's just Time like I, I, yeah. my review, my 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 rear view memory is much more closer to two dimensional. It's like everything is just flat and i can't remember whether something yeah. was like 2005 or 2015 or whatever right. i mean maybe it's because i'm i'm drunk most of the time but you know um <laughs> uh but it was interesting i again i had i had quibbles but I, I think it was really really good i think one of the things that they didn't get enough into well i mean i don't i mean you guys can correct me but i think they barely talked about the iraq war right and yeah and this idea that yeah. immigration was central to the rise of Trump and populism right. and nationalism and all this kind of stuff, which I agree with. Um, right. And I and, and good for Continetti for writing about that early and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Matt, big fan of Matt's. But um, I will say, as a former National Review guy, this was an argument that national review had been making for decades. And I, I'm much softer on immigration than a lot of my NR colleagues were, but mm-hmm. the argument was always, if we don't treat, if, if, if responsible politicians don't take uh, immigration seriously, then irresponsible politicians will exploit it for their own ends. And yeah. that was an argument that NR pounded since the nineties. And, um, and, uh, and I think it was right, you know, but the, it seems to me like there's a, just a big missing part of the conversation, um, was about 
not just so much the role of the war because the war went mm-hmm. badly. You can look it up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the surge was even unpopular on the right back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing that's sort of interesting to me that I think a lot of people forget is how much the immigration stuff bled into the war stuff and vice versa insofar mm. as, mm. um, you know, if you read Jonathan Haidt, one of the reasons why immigration is like a big deal in our, in our brains is this idea of contagion from others and outsiders coming in. And that's why like ideas of diseases from abroad freak people out. Um, I mean, right. people forget how the Ebola thing was just off the charts panic, you know, under Obama. Um, and it has to do with the fact, according to Haidt and others, is that a lot of our stuff about politics is right next to the part of our brain that's about hygiene. And right. moral hygiene, really? sanitation, all of these kinds of things. And so when we feel like something dirty or infectious or whatever is coming into our body politic, a terrible term, um, it triggers some of that stuff. And yeah. um, so anyway, the Iraq war, I mean, people forget, you know, like there was a huge conversation on the right, including with some friends of mine about how we had to fight. We had to stand up right now, lest this country um, succumb to Sharia law. And like, I never understood it at the time, you know, yes, there were, I mean, I remember being driven around by a lady in Southern California for a speech to a group and Southern California has got some crazy ass conservatives in it. I just want to be clear mm-hmm. about that. I mean, part of it has to do with David Horowitz having his little, you know, his little Republic of Horowitz out there and <laughs> feeding people this stuff. Part of it has to do with the fact that it's, it's the last vestige of that old sort of Goldwaterite thing. But mm-hmm. um, it's also because it's just like really distant from actual politics. So it lends itself to, I mean, from Washington politics. So it lends itself to seeing politics through a literary prism rather than a like practical prism. Power. Harry Jaffa. Yeah. I mean, Harry, but look, yeah. I'll, I used to have problems with Harry Jaffa. I'll take Harry Jaffa any day compared, but <laughs> it's like this, um, um, this feeling of powerlessness creates a permission structure that lets you invent all sorts of parades of horribles because right. you have no power to stop it anyway. So you might as well paint things in the most catastrophic way possible. Anyway, Southern California in wealthy right-wing politics is full of this stuff, which is why right, yeah. the G- Republican GOP, you know, sucks so bad. Um, but I remember being driven around by this woman who was just saying how, yeah, they were, you know, her daughter really wanted to go to UCLA, but, you know, it's, um, you know, any day now they're going to announce that it's going to be uh, Sharia law compliant and Jeez. I won't send her there for Darn. it. And I was like, really? And she's yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's totally, you know, it's like gateway pundit banana right. stuff. And anyway, and so like there was all of this stuff about fear of the dangerous internal enemy of Muslims mm-hmm. and terrorists and sleeper cells and you know and some of it was completely understandable after 9 11 um but it kind of went off the rails towards the end of the end of the 90s and it was deeply wrapped up in a lot of the immigration stuff in ways that people kind of forget and mm-hmm. um and for me the uh the the inflection point for all of it which none of you guys probably remember was the dubai ports deal you, know, oh, you guys remember right. that so yep. the dubai ports deal Dubai, some Dubai company was going to buy a port, I think in Louisiana. And 
everybody freaked out. I mean, it was mm-hmm. weird. It was like, and it was like left wing socialists freaking out about it. Right wing nationalists freaking out about it. Like we're not going to hand over our precious bodily fluids to you know the Arabs and <laughs> blah. I mean, it just it, would, it was crazy for about fifteen yeah. minutes, and um, and uh, and I remember writing one of the only columns saying, "Guys, calm the hell down. This is nuts." But right, right. um. And so anyway, I'm not detracting anything from what those guys were talking about, but I would listen to it last night and, and it was really good. And, yeah. uh, but I, I think immigration was a huge issue, but it was also emblematic of a whole other set of issues that were also in yeah. play. Um, anyway, so and it's, and that, and that's still kind of here, right? Like you and I were talking yesterday about this Afghan interpreters situation, which right. is dire. Uh, and I was kind of like, why doesn't some GOP Senator just jump on this bandwagon and be like, hey, let's get him back. They helped America, you know, rah, rah. Uh, and you said, well, some some of their base is still genuinely afraid of bringing Sharia law, yeah, yeah. air quoting, like into the into the Americas. And I just hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, yeah. it, may, it may not be like bringing the Sharia law in, but it's bringing, you know, like. Sure. You're going to get primaried the hell out of, you right. know, if if some interpreter anywhere that you brought that you helped bring back ends up being a terrorist and right and again we don't want to import terrorists but right like um i ended up at your suggestion writing a column about it yesterday because i didn't have much time okay. to write anything else and i already like thought about it for the dispatch pod and whatnot but um right it just seems to me like there's testimony from these soldiers these officers who say you know this guy killed three taliban he saved my life he saved my platoon right. and i'll vouch for him and i'll put him in my house it seems to me at that mm-hmm. point you don't need to vet the guy anymore, right? I mean, um, yeah, uh, that's three more Taliban than than any of us have killed. I mean, you know, fact check true. All right, so uh, we're going to try actually keep this thing close to an hour because we have also have gotten some complaints about how long we've gone and the David French uh, podcast from last week um, or from this week um, was like ninety minutes, and some people were like. One guy literally wrote me and says, Jonah, for the love of God, please try to stick to an hour because I, I want to hear the whole thing, but this is a huge commitment. I was like, was, listen on one and a half speed, people. Exactly. It was, it seemed fair. I mean, yeah. um, and then how long did our uh, thing with Bushway go? I think it was around 80 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, folks, you know, folks who really love, for example, the homelessness podcast from a couple of years ago where we just did a deep mm-hmm. dive on a single policy issue. I really think you're going to like the Bushway thing. He was he yeah. was really good um, yeah. and really nuanced and interesting. And um, and I you know I learned some stuff. And um, oh, since we were talking about, I, I I did want to ask you guys, did you guys like freak out a little bit when I talked about Morgan Reynolds becoming a 9/11 truther thing? Did that go over your heads? I was just concerned out. about the 9-11 truther stuff. Okay, yeah. So like <laughs> it was very random. I was like, whoa. I know, but like I, <laughs> so like this is this is another part from this Bush era stuff, right? So like um Moira was a serious guy. I used to talk to him on the phone. I used, I used a lot of his stuff from the uh, NCPA, which is this big Texas think tank. And um PhD economist. He was the I think he the chief economist in the Labor Department, first two years of the Bush administration. And then he and like a bunch of these other kind of Reagan era, Reaganite guys became 9-11 truthers. 
you know, mm-hmm. building seven was imploded and blah, all this kind of stuff. I mean, and just like, and this was like, so way before Trump, you know, we've had this conversation a million times about like, have some of these people always been like this and Trump just merely right. exposed it or did like yeah, Trump right. do something? Some of these people have just always, it, it's just been just below the surface and it yeah. just takes something to pull it out. And, hmm. um, and I just, I was that, I just remember being blown away when I found out that he was like, Mm-hmm. you know 911 was an inside job guy um yeah. and um so anyway uh and we can talk more about it next week but we did a great podcast with Jonathan Rausch which uh you guys assure me is going to air next we're going to be able to post next yeah. week okay. yep. yep all right guys um people please you know in the comments uh you know or in the remnant twitter feed um or yeah. You know, in uh, or just you know, you could leave a giant bag of cicadas on Ryan's doorstep, whatever. Um, <laughs> but let us know what you think about this, and um, and I promise next week we'll go back to the solo thing, and we're also going to do uh, um, some more of those uh, sort of standalone uh, eggheadery red things because people mm-hmm. seem to like those, and I think they keep, and they're probably good for the summertime too. Um, yeah, yeah, drives or gardening or you know trying yeah. to bury a body so um <laughs> that uh, august recess is coming fast exactly and that's it's it's that is when congressmen bury the most of their victims so yes um yes. with that uh thanks everybody you know we'll, we'll see you next time hey what is the podcast Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.